away this week. And so uh, we miss them. Trust they'll get back safely. <clears throat> John chapter 1. We're looking this morning at uh, verses, well, we're going to be looking at verse 12, but uh, verse 13 is coupled with that, which will be next week. And we will show the video from Desiring, uh, from uh, Behold Your God next week in fit. So that starts directly at 9 o'clock. <clears throat> All right. Beginning at verse 9. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Gospel of John is without a doubt the most sovereign of the books of Scripture. And these verses speak of the sovereignty of God in salvation Very clearly, we'll see that very clearly next week. John has revealed in this passage the true nature of the light and life that is exclusively found in Jesus Christ, the Word. That light exposed the darkness of sin that is inherent in every fallen human heart. When the light came into the world... It revealed the true nature of sin in everyone and men recoiled and and resisted the light. Even though the light was present with them and even though the light was one of them. Now we could understand the rejection if it were from a violent pagan people who didn't know anything about the God of heaven. But the truth of the matter is that every human heart, every human being on earth is of that strain. We are all violent, pagan people who hated God. That's not uh, an earthquake or anything, I don't think. So, It is motorcycle time, is it not? Dwelling in the darkness and loving uh, the world, the flesh, and the work, doing the works of the devil was our common occupation. Paul speaks of it very clearly in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 when he says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. So we were all there. Nobody can say that wasn't me or that isn't me. 
There was light in the world because the light had come into the world, but men loved the darkness more than light because their works were evil. And it didn't matter that he was one of them. They still rejected him. That brings us to verses 12 and 13, where we see a heavenly chord of the work of of sovereign salvation that God has given. It is a salvation that is centered on individuals as noted in these verses. He came to his own people, the Jews, collectively. But there were in that collective group some individuals who received him. As verse 12 indicates. Now what we have, we've seen in verse 9 the light revealed. In verse 10 and 11 the light resisted. Now we see the light received. But to all who did receive him. The word but in verse 12 shows a striking shift and contrast in the reception of the Savior from the rejection of Him in the previous verse. The world's hatred of Christ cannot frustrate the plan that God has for mankind, for it was established before the foundation of the world, and it will be worked out just as God planned it to be worked out all the way to the very last soul To be saved. Can you imagine being the very last soul saved on earth? We see that very clearly in Ephesians 1 verse 4, 2 Timothy 1 9. And Proverbs 19 verse 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man... But it's per- but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Men can say and plan all they like. But God's purposes will stand no matter what happens. We see all around us a nation that was once a nation under God crumbling before our eyes. And yet God's word will stand. His purpose will stand. His salvation will not stop. Christianity will not end. In fact, Christianity flourishes the best when it's under persecution. It always has. The revelation of Christ brought rejection, but through His Spirit it wrought reception. John wants to make sure that those who read his gospel don't misunderstand and think that no one responded to the word. So he adds, to all who did, or as many as did respond. (coughs) Which is equal to the whosoever or whoever verses that we find in Scripture, like John 3, 15 and 16, and 4, 14, <clears throat> where Jesus stood and said, Whoever will, let him come and drink freely of the water of life. Whoever. It didn't, doesn't mean that nobody did. 
Some did. And it's open, it opens the way for all whom the Lord our God will call. Arthur Pink writes this, to all, or as many as, no matter whether they be Jews or Gentiles, rich or poor, illiterate or learned, receive Christ as their own personal Savior. To them it is given the power or right to become children of God. It is a personal thing. It doesn't mean that it's personal in the sense that don't ask me about it. It just means that it's personal in the sense that you are an individual who will stand before God alone. There are some who did receive him. This is an affirmative statement of the faith of some people who were both Jews and Gentiles. Some received him. The Jew had had long thought that because they were God's chosen people, the apple of his eye, that they had special benefits and privileges because of their national standing before God. John was keenly aware of the way the Jew thought and the mindset that is revealed in them. That's why he makes this statement in verses 12 and 13. Notice that John gives us the meaning and definition of what it means to receive Christ. Now there is, there is in among our Armenian brethren a call to salvation that says, make a decision, receive Christ. And though it is true that people do receive Him, It is not true that they receive him of their own accord. The word receive means to willingly permit access to oneself. Willingly permit access. It could be translated take hold of or to obtain by grasping. It is obviously more than mental or intellectual knowledge, or acknowledgement of the claims of Christ. It's obviously more than that. One writer states this, Receiving Jesus means that when Jesus offers Himself to you, you welcome Him into your life for what He is. If He comes to you as Savior, you welcome His salvation. If He comes to you as leader, you welcome His leadership. If He comes to you as provider, you welcome His provision. If He comes as counselor, you welcome His counsel. As protector, you welcome His protection. If He comes to you as authority, you welcome His authority. If He comes to you as king, you welcome His rule. There There is an openness to the human heart in the receiving of Jesus Christ that welcomes Him for all He is. Notice the definition of receiving. As many as received who believed in His name. There's the definition of receiving. You cannot receive if you do not believe. 
Believing is the key. So what is the real meaning of believing? Is it simply invoking the name of Jesus? Is that equal to believing? Simply saying Jesus is mine? Saying Jesus is Lord? Certainly not. For there are many who call upon His name and appeal to His name, who really do not know Him. All you have to do is listen to the prosperity TV preachers. They call on the name of Jesus all the time. Even calling Him Lord. But He is not their Lord. He is simply a a means to gain To believe in Jesus' name is to adhere to Him, to commit to Him, to place one's faith and trust in Him and upon Him. When a person believes in Jesus, they are trusting in all that He is, all that He has done, and all that He promises to do in the future. The receiving and believing are simultaneous acts That speak of continuing to believe. A person doesn't believe today and then stop believing tomorrow. That is a biblical impossibility. For when a person truly believes and receives the Christ into their life. He enters into them by the power of the Spirit. And dwells within them eternally. Biblical faith is not something that we do, but someone in whom we trust. It is God's trustworthiness that we cling to. God makes the statement, we take it in and we believe it and we live on it. We live by it. John develops this Theme in his entire gospel is about believing. John 6, 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. John 12, 36, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. John 14, 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. John 17, 20, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. 1 John three twenty three. this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. John 5, 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Arthur Pink again. Believing respects Christ as he is exhibited by the gospel testimony. It is the personal acceptance as truth of what God has said concerning his son. Receiving views. Receiving views Christ as presented to us as God's gift. Presented to us for our Acceptance. Believing 
is not a kind of coexisting with, with a Christ who makes no claims on your life. The true Christ makes every claim on your life. Everything you are, everything you have, everything you ever hope to be, He makes a claim on. Though there is action involved in receiving and believing in Jesus, the work of salvation is the sovereign act of God alone in the soul of the sinner. It is God alone that saves. We have absolutely no part in the actuality of it. Even the believing is initiated by God through the new birth. John's inference is that no one would ever receive Christ, no one would ever believe in Jesus, if God did not give them the right to do so. Of course, John 3 verse 3 speaks of that. Salvation is entirely By the grace of God from beginning to end with no human works or achievement whatsoever. This is very important because there is a, there is a whole side of Christianity that believes that you can work to get it. That you can do something to gain it or to have it. And those people are Deluded, they are duped into thinking that because they're doing certain things, they are saved. The Apostle Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works So that no one may boast. Listen, if we could work even one small aspect of salvation for ourselves, we would all take credit for it. God will not allow that. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers beloved by the Lord. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. How did he do that? Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You, one might say, well, I actually believed, didn't I? Didn't I do that? You only did it in the sense that God empowered you to do it. Believing, repenting, is a gift given, not a work earned. Salvation is not something owed to individuals, nor is it within the power of the individual to appropriate it by themselves. It is the gift of authority by God. Now I want you to notice the state, that this state or condition is not something one is born with. We'll get to that in chapter, in verse 13. But the Jews thought... That because Abraham was the progenitor of their race, that they already had a relationship with God. 
In fact, Jesus questions them in John chapter 8. Turn with me to John 8, if you will. Look at verses 33 through 39. And they answered him, We are... We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. Because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do not, you do what you have seen or heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God. And I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Wow. Did you ever try telling anyone that that Satan is their father? An occultist might agree with you. But in truth, everyone is until they're born again. Now, look at this phrase in verse 12. He gave the right. I want to break that down. Into its component parts. Jesus. Under the decree of God the Father. Gave his amazing grace to fallen human beings. To have the authority. That is found only in heaven. Now think about that for a moment. The authority that only resides in heaven. It is not on the earth. No one naturally has it, not even the greatest of human beings. The word gave is a word that has a very wide definition of meaning. Here, it means to make a transfer or to allow or to grant something. The giving is based on A decision of the will of the giver without any merit to the recipient. Now what do I mean by that? It means that you're not saved by your will. You're saved by God's will. It is God who wills people to be saved. Not the people themselves. They are simply the recipients of His gift.
What was it that he granted or transferred? It was authority. It was the right. As the ESV has it, it was the right. The old King James says he gave the power. Power is not the not as good of a translation, although the word exousia can mean power. Uh, here it, it has more the idea of giving someone the right to do something or have something or the authority to have it rather than the power to have it. This word is used two other times in the New Testament. It speaks of privilege. Listen to Matthew chapter 10 verse 1. And he called the twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease. So often in these two verses that I'm going to cite, you have giving and authority together as we do in verse 12. He gave authority. He gave the right. So in Matthew 10, he gave his disciples the right to deal with unclean spirits. They could not have dealt with them on their own. For the unclean spirits, the demons are far more powerful than human beings. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8, listen to it. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, he's talking about authority as an apostle, which the Lord gave for the building for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed, he says, of that authority. There were those that were attacking Paul's authority as an apostle. He says, I'm not ashamed of the authority God gave to me because it's for building you up, not, not destroying you. As an, as an apostle, he could have gone to the Corinthian church and he could have destroyed people if that was God's will for him to do so. He didn't, he didn't want to do that. God gave him the right to have authority to build people up and to say this is the way God wants you to deal with these things and to do these things. This is why we follow the scripture as to a definite plan of how we worship. We don't just do things willy-nilly. Oh, that sounds good. We'll bring that in. No, it has to be from scripture. It has to be it has to be given by God. People who believe in Christ enjoy the right of privilege that Christ to be Christ's own people. That was the privilege the Jews lost as a nation. God has given it to individuals. He gave the right to do what? To become children of God. Over many years, there has been a generally accepted viewpoint uh, that the world consists of the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. And many, many people believe that even today. Well, men are only brothers in that they are a part of the human race. But God is not the father of all men. He is the creator of all men. All men belong to Him, but He is only the Father of those who are in Christ Jesus. 
This is absolutely a false notion that brotherhood of man, fatherhood of God. Some people point to Acts chapter 17, verse 28, as a proof text. And this is what it says. Paul was on Mars Hill conversing with the philosophers. And this is what he says in verse 28. For in Him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. And they take that verse to say, you see, all men are the offspring of God. God is the Father of everyone. That's universalism, by the way. But that's not true. All Paul is saying, all Paul is doing is quoting one of their their poets. He's saying what their poets said. All men are not God's children. Where did the authority to become the child of God come from? Where did it originate? It originated with God Himself. Notice that He gave us the right to become. We were not... And we became. We were dead. He made us alive. We were in darkness. He brought us into light. We became the children of God. We were not that. We became that. So what were we before? We were the children of the devil. Just like Jesus said. All men are children of the devil. Until they become children of God. We see it over and over in scripture. John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil. And it is the will of your father that you will do. You'll do what your father desires. 1 John 3, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Verse 12. We should not be like Cain. Who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Matthew 13, 38, the field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. Pretty plain. By our own moral following and standard, we were the devil's offspring. You say, well, wait a minute. Men are born in sin. They have no choice other than that. They're born in sin. Why is it that they become the children of the devil? Because they do the works of the devil. Because they have the moral standard of the devil. But when we believed, God gave us the privilege of access into his family. His own family. Now, there are two words in Scripture that are used to speak of children. They are the words huios and the word technon. Huios speaks of a child that is brought into a family by adoption. They're not a member of the family originally. But because of the will of the Father, they are adopted into the family and thus become sons equal to to natural born sons of the family. 
And they have all the privileges of inheritance and the rights of sonship. This is the word that Paul uses in Ephesians 1.5. Where he says... Ephesians 1, where he says, um, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. He had destined, he had destined us for huias. We became sons with all the privileges that sonship has. John doesn't use that word here. John uses the word technon which is used of children who are naturally born into a family by birth. He uses that word in verse 12. In other words, those who believe and have received the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and believing become God's children, listen carefully now, by birth. It's called the new birth. In our, in our sinful state, our fallen state, we were dead in our sins and, and children of the devil. But when God saves us and gives us the, His, His salvation through His sovereign grace, He does it, we become His children by a new birth. It is absolutely essential. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. People were not his children and now they are born into his family. That means then that God is our father. I thought about this when I, Friday, when I was here and finished studying this passage out, I thought about this and I got in my truck and I was riding home and I said to myself, God is my father. I don't have a father any longer. My earthly father is gone. But I have a father. God is my father. What a great comfort that is. How did it happen? How did it happen that God became my father? Turn with me to James chapter 1. Look at verse 18. James 1 verse 18. Let's back up to verse 16. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It originates in heaven. Coming down from who? The Father of lights, with whom there is no variable or variation or shadow due to change. Now notice this next verse. Of His own will, He brought us forth. By the word of truth. Wow. By our will? No. By His will. By His will, He birthed us. That's what the words brought us forth means. He birthed us. 
It speaks of bringing something into existence. To give birth. It's a, it Figuratively, it has the idea of giving birth. How did He do that? By the Word of Truth. By the Scriptures. That's why everything has to be according to the Scriptures. No willy-nilly, I like it this way, let's do that that way. No, what does the Scriptures say? The phrase, children of God, as John uses it, is found 11 times in 11 verses of the New Testament. And every single time it speaks of believers who have received Christ by the sovereign grace of God. Every time. So not everyone is a child of God. There are many who claim God is their father, but he's really not their father. So how do you know if you are his child, if he is really your father? The test of whether you are a child of God or not is found in John chapter 8, verse 42. And I believe that's the passage that we just read where Jesus said, If God were your father... You would love me, for I came from God and I am here. If God is your Father, you have a love relationship with Jesus Christ. You will love Christ. If you love Him, if your life is His, if you're following Him, if you believe in Him, if you have received Him, then God is your Father. And you have a Father in heaven. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because it does not know Him. Do you ever wonder why the world is so is so caustically violent at the name of Jesus Christ and and all they ever want to use it as is a curse word? It's because they don't know Him. And they don't know the Father. And consequently, they do not love Him. Because if they loved the Father, they would love Him too. How would these truths affect Your fight against sin and unbelief if you kept them close to your heart and your mind. If every day you wake up with the realization that God is my Father. He is with me. I walk in Him and move in Him. He directs my life. And I love Him and I love the Lord Jesus Christ. How would that affect Your fight against sin and unbelief. I dare say that it would enhance every bit of your life. That your life would take on a character that is far more Christ-like. If we would simply believe and remember, God is my Father. He's with me and I love Him. 
and I love the Lord Jesus. Let's try to remember that this week. As we go about our business and as we seek to fulfill the will of God in everything that we do, say, and are for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you that we're able to come and worship together, partake of the Lord's Supper together, pray together, sing together, and to have the Word of God ministered to our lives. We pray, Father, that you would be pleased with our worship today. We don't want to worship out of a sense of sheer duty, although we realize it is our duty to worship. We want, it, we want to come with a heart that loves you and desires to worship you. And that we do this morning. And so we pray that you would use this passage of scripture that we've looked at today to teach us, to guard us along our way. You are our Father. And you love us as your children. Rescue us, I pray, through this truth from sins which so easily beset us and from the, from the temptation of unbelief. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so glad you're all here this morning. God bless you.